welcome to the Good Human Project Podcast. I'm your host, Marianna Norton. This is a community for good humans striving to be better and do better. Open your ears, heart, and mind as we explore the tapestry of human experience through brave conversations. Good Human isn't a destination, it's a journey, and I'm honored to have you along for the ride. Let's jump in. I'm very excited to welcome Iman Zabi as my first official guest to the Human Project podcast. And I would love to start off with an icebreaker question. And that is, if I could make any food from anywhere in the world magically appear for you to enjoy right now, what would you choose and why? Oh, that's so easy. Cheese for tire any day, every day. It is the most delicious. It's like, it's it's this Arabic cheese bread and nothing in the world comes close to how satisfying it is. Hot bread, fresh out of like these giant clay ovens, and they have this special blend of cheese and it's baked together, and it's just, it's divine. So now we're hungry. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> so then, getting to the heart of what this podcast is meant to be, I'd like you to share what you believe it means to be a good human. I mean, I mean, when you ask me that, I think to be a good human is to not be a bad human. I think that's essentially it. Um, but I think somebody who is open to kind of redefining what good means, because I think we all kind of grow up thinking that, you know, we're good, we're right, you know, you grow up with that. But I think as you get older and experience new things and connect with people, which I think is really the point of this podcast as well, um, those beliefs are challenged and being open to having those beliefs challenged and reevaluating what you think is good, I think, is fundamental to being a good person or a good human. So kind of the difference between like good versus right. Like a lot of times sitting in righteousness is where good and bad end up getting labeled, which is entirely different what you're saying in that evolution. Is that, am I hearing that correctly? Yeah. I mean, that's what I was trying to say, but you just said it far more eloquently than I could have managed. You know, putting the spotlight a little bit more on you, who are you in the world? How would you define yourself? I'm a business owner. I am I'm an Indian Muslim who grew up in the Middle East. I use she, her pronouns. I'm straight. Um, those are, I suppose, like the demographic categories that I would check off on a forum. But who am I? That's a, I'm also a martial artist. I am a Harry Potter fan, as Mariana knows. I, who else am I? I'm a reader. I'm a writer. I'm a traveler. I'm a fatire addict. So for context, you, you touched on it a little bit. If you were to share kind of when you were a child where home would have been for you? Doha, Doha, Qatar. Um, I grew up in the Middle East. It was an incredibly sheltered childhood. I loved it. Couldn't have been more different than what I know a lot of people have kind of grown up in and I wouldn't trade it for the world. So when you say that it was sheltered, in which ways would you say that that, like, what, what do you mean by that? Like protected or cut off from the rest of the world? I would say cut off from the rest of the world because I remember the day the, fir- the first mall opened in Qatar. My dad came home from work early to tell us a mall had opened. And 
soon after that, we moved out into like the middle of the desert. The beach was a few minutes away. There's just this very small community of, you know, young families and we were all growing up there. And it just felt like we were just tucked away in this little corner of the world. And it was wonderful. But then we also got to witness you know, this incredible growth with, because Qatar is a very young country. So you, we saw it transition from this kind of early pearl diving sort of um, economy to an oil econ- economy that was investing heavily in tech and education and tourism. And it's nuts now. It's not even, it, it's not even recognizable as the same place, but it was just a very interesting childhood to kind of grow up almost in this like tucked away forgotten place, but also be witness to all of this incredible technological advancement at the same time yeah that's really interesting so like when when I hear you talk about Qatar right it's a place that people hear a lot in the news um, and through media what do you think people get wrong about like the Middle East or Qatar specifically that you wish they knew So prior to to maybe a couple of years ago, I don't think most people had even heard of Qatar. It was just this tiny place. When people asked me where I was from, I'm like, oh, it's this tiny place next to Dubai. And Dubai, most people know. But I think what people think about the Middle East in general, and this was something that I kind of encountered a lot when I moved to Canada, is like, oh, were you riding camels to work? Or, um, you know, this idea of like, oh, what's it like to move to the first world? And it's really, it's it's hilarious to me (laughs) because I... Qatar is just so, it's miles ahead of most places in terms of tech and infrastructure and just quality of life that when I moved here, it was like, oh, I need to do things manually. So that was, and, and, but people would ask me what it was like to move to the first world. It was just a very interesting juxtaposition. Yeah. Well, you kind of laugh that off, but on some level, that must seem insulting as well. Oh, absolutely. I think I'm a lot more thick skinned now because I've, I've heard that so much. Um, but the first, I would say half a dozen times I heard that I took it a little bit personally because people would ask me where I learned to speak English or, you know, do they have schools in Qatar? Oh, I'm like, I'm sorry. We have Cornell, Carnegie Mellon and Georgetown there. I mean, like, so it was just, it's, it's interesting how little people know about the Middle East and ha- and what they do know about the place is it's, it's a very, it's a view that's almost entirely dictated by Western media. And it, it all people think about is terrorism or violence and war. But there's so much more to it. And not every country in the Middle East is at war either. It's a very, like there's so much diversity even within the Gulf, the GCC states. Like Qatar and Dubai, they might be an hour away from each other because they're completely different countries. Oh, well, Dubai's a city, but yeah. Talking about bias, because a lot of that is, bias, preconceived notions of how places and people are perceived, you know, were you surprised moving to Canada? Because what you expected people here to understand, appreciate, especially like I'm Canadian and like we, I'm going to speak kind of generally for Canadians, but we do like to think that we're a polite society and that we are, air quotes here, a first world that has this like greater worldview. But would you say that that was your experience or that 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 is the like the polite, comfortable version that <laughs> a lot of Canadians <laughs> like to carry around? Um, I mean, I can only speak from my experience, but I do think that on average, I think my experience is that Canadians, um, they are definitely more polite than some of the people in the U.S. They're, I think they, they will hedge 
their um, prejudices a little bit better. Um, but in terms of worldview, um, I think this is a North American problem in general. I think it's just it's a very isolationist culture. I think both geographically and in terms of kind of media penetration, I don't think people in North America hear enough about the rest of the world to have that broadened worldview. I think you have to go out of your way to learn about it. And as a result, most people don't. Yeah. So if I'm understanding you correctly and like correct me on your actual experience, but as a young person growing up in Qatar, did you feel that you had more like input coming from different places about what was happening in the world? Whereas like generally a lot of the news cycles here tend to be filled like very North American specific, a lot of fluff and then like sprinkle of like these huge things that are going on in the rest of the world that don't seem to make the highlight real in the way that like I, I generally would expect them to from a worldview standpoint. Yeah, that's, a, that's absolutely it. And because I mean, because of where Qatar is lo- located in the Middle East and um, it's an, inc- it's, you have people from all over the world there and people who have very strong ties. They, every, almost everyone there who's not, Qatari local is a first generation immigrant. So you have people who have very strong ties to their home country. And that brings a type of diversity that you don't necessarily see in North America. I feel like North America puts an emphasis on almost homogenizing cultures. Like you have to be, you are Canadian or you are American and therefore you interact with things in a very Canadian or American way or you care more about your local, what happens locally than, you know, what's happening back in other parts of the world. So I think that type of first-generation immigrant diversity that you have in other parts of the world, just it it forces you to have broader perspectives almost by default, which you just you don't see here. Okay. Yeah, and that, that's really interesting because, like, there's numerous times, especially as I was growing up here as a Canadian kid, right, where the Canadian society would, would be referred to as, like, a patchwork of diversity, and it sounds like what you're talking about in Qatar is an actual where like these squares exist independently and in like their own uniqueness and beauty and form a whole versus what it sounds like your experience has been in North America. It's <laughs> like a, trying to weave all the fabrics together into one that is like as similar as to whatever the perceived notion of Canadian or American is. Is that that's exactly it yeah that is exactly it so then as as somebody who has come to North America and specifically here to Canada how has that made it hard or challenging for you to continue to be the person that you are or have always been in this new surrounding it's definitely hard I think it makes it um I mean so much of your worldview is shaped by where you were raised and you're it's it's very difficult I think to kind of connect with people who don't necessarily care about the same things that you do. Like right now, um, there is an incredible amount of persecution happening um, in India. Muslims are literally being lynched in the street. So it's like, this is something that is affecting my extended family back in India. This is something that I'm reading in the news. This is a topic of conversation in my household, but it's not something that I can even broach with people here because if I do, it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, that part of the world. And it's not, and these are not white people. Like this is not a person of color versus white thing. This is very much a there isn't enough news penetration in North America and people aren't really don't really care about things outside of their borders problem. Do you think that that that's 
part of like the deep othering that happens here in North America, right? Where it's like these things that happen in places outside of North America are like this outside experience. We like, like we all, a lot, we all, a lot of people all over the world talk about, you know, one world, one people, all the things. But with, if we look at the way like attention is paid in the news or the conversations that happen and the way the connection around those conversations happen, do you feel that that's part of it? Like, like what you're saying about it's happening over there. So it's somehow not connected to us. I would like say North yes. America. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely say yes to that, but I think Ukraine is just such a fascinating example because I think it's the exception to that. And I mean, there've been so many interesting conversations happening about, um, you know, the, response to Ukraine and why it's kind of it's struck a chord with so many people but I've never I mean I haven't seen anything like that during the Arab Spring I've never seen anything like that um for Palestine I've never seen anything like that for um anything that's happening to people I mean honestly I don't think I even saw an equivalent sustained response to BLM so yeah. I've, I haven't seen anything um in terms of like the scale of response um similar to what we're seeing with Ukraine and they deserve it. They absolutely deserve it. But I would love for some some of that attention, some of a similar scale to be shown to some other parts of the world, to other kinds of crises. Yeah, no, and that completely makes sense. And I'm like, I would expect, honestly, depending how far this podcast ends up reaching one day, that even when you say things like Arab Spring and Palestine, like, I wonder what the how that lands, right? Like, yeah. like when you say Ukraine right now, people know what it is, yeah. right? Like for the, for the most part, I think you would be hard pressed to like yeah. walk down the street. At least I'm here in Ottawa and say, Hey, do you, do you know what's going on in Ukraine? And someone say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like I, I would genuinely be surprised, but I've actually been downtown on an off chance when there was some protests going on about, you know, Palestine and, Absolutely. Like the the news that's there, um, whether it even made the headlines, it didn't like it's great that they have the space to have voice, but they're the voice can't have the impact if it doesn't land anywhere. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it sounds like that's what you're talking to is that like with Ukraine, the voice isn't just being heard, it's being amplified and carried. It, it feels almost all around the world, which agree with you absolutely 110%. And I'm sure, I'm not sure, I would expect that for people who are on the ground right now in Ukraine, that probably doesn't seem like enough. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Right. Um, Because like voice and, you know, talking about it is completely different from like the visceral experience that's happening to those people on the ground. But like you're saying, and it, like, even if we look backwards, if we don't try to compare like what's happening in one place here versus something else that's happening now, when we look back at like everything that's happened in the Middle East over the last five years or even further back, there wasn't the attention in the way where it was like focused on the people and how it's impacting the people who call that place home in the way that it was reported here. Does that Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Russia has been interfering in Yemen for years. I mean, the, the Yemeni economy is, is 
non-existent at this point. The poverty is just off the charts. I think there's um, starvation people like it's just I think the I don't remember the stat off the top of my head, but I think the UN was trying to raise something um, something like 14 to 15 million to uh, um, to send some kind of aid package for Yemen, and they weren't able to do that. Whereas we see how much money goes into all sorts of other causes, and it's just it's always folks in the Middle East, the Uyghur Chinese, the Rohingyas. These are folks that people forget about always, and it's very frustrating to see. Do you feel that they get forgotten, or do you think it's fair to say that they may not even fully be seen even to begin with? Um, I think it's a bit of both. I think there are people who are aware of it, but I think, you know, attention spans, you're not, it's not something that is, I can't go onto a site right now. I can't go onto creative market right now without um, seeing something about raising uh, funds for Ukraine. I have never seen that on a totally non-political site. I've never seen that for any other type of crisis happening anywhere else in the world. And we absolutely need more of it. I think, you know, business is by definition political. And I don't think aid, I don't think, you know, you don't have to have an opinion on um, the Chinese government to see that, you know, what they're doing with the Uyghurs is just absolutely unacceptable. Like, that's not a political opinion. That's a humanitarian thing. And that should be, people should be doing more about it. So then for, from, for your experiences from, like, going from the Middle East here to North America, what do you think people in different parts of the world that are outside of the Middle East, let's go like even further because we're, like, there's Europe, there's yep. Australia, there's all like South America, all these different places. What do you see that's different in how people interact or find and consume information and make those connections and conversations that's missing here? Like for somebody who's listening and hearing about like these different people and these different places and these different things that are going on, who maybe has that, like, I don't even know what that is, or I've heard a little bit about that, but I didn't, now I want to know more. Where are the good places that people should be going for information? Because obviously our regular news feeds likely won't feed them up. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, A really good resource i think is al jazeera english it is a fantastic channel um it is based in qatar um my only gripe with al jazeera is i think they don't provide enough of a nuanced perspective on qatar and themselves qatar has its own human rights issues which obviously they gloss over but in terms of covering things in other parts of the world i think they do a fantastic job they have this extraordinary library of documentaries which are honestly some of the best i've ever seen and pretty much anything you want to learn about, you'll find there. That's fantastic. I will link that up. And that provides one that's very clear (laughs) instead of like 20 different um, options. So like this, this question we've kind of played with a little bit in there, but like, as you've moved through in the journey from, you know, being the naive child that you were growing up in this like wonderful place to the human that you are now, aside from what I'm sure was, you know, jarring coming into (laughs) the big wide world um what stands out to you as like an experience that's helped shape who you are in the world now honestly I think probably being a business owner because as somebody who is intensely introverted um having a business has forced me to interact with people from I mean I, I grew up speaking to people who had 
similar viewpoint points in the sense that like you know tolerance was just you you had to you had to be able to entertain other people's opinions but you also kind of had a baseline view that most people would agree on things like most people in Qatar would not have would not have islamophobic views for example or most people in Qatar would have a degree of awareness about the broader world so moving here and being a business owner and interacting with people from completely different life experiences i think it's forced me to almost like not take take things for granted almost like not make assumptions about what other people's views are um that's been a really interesting one for me and also learn to defend my values in a way that feels true to myself as um and you know i have a team so making sure that they feel protected and they feel like they have a safe space as well so you get to completely own your power to create something reluctantly yes <laughs> that's supportive and like in in terms of team right you you not only are creating a business you're a leader and an example of what's achievable for other people yes i try not to think about that part of it as much um it definitely feels like pressure um but no i i i am grateful for like the opportunity that my business is created for myself and for my team. I know I'm, I am in my team and, you know, the company I've built is by no means perfect, but I know like we're actively working and make it feel like a safe space for people and for people from all walks of life to feel welcome. And I've heard from so many um, people of color, like their experiences in the workplace have been less than pleasant. I'm grateful that, you know, it may be small, but at least for a few people, I can kind of, I can give that to them. Well, I think that's the the power of like business building and entrepreneurship is that you're able to move outside of some of the like confines and structures that have like systemically existed for a really long time to create something that not only holds space and supports you, but as you grow your business, you're able to like you have exactly creating that container that things move and the hierarchy is completely different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think just entrepreneurship in general is just such a powerful tool to it's, it's almost like, I I mean, I, I can't really add anything to that because I think you just framed it so perfectly. It lets you get outside, step outside some of the systemic challenges and create your own space. It's literally the equivalent of like sticking your finger at the city moving out into the middle of nowhere and building your own little village. And I, it's, it's great. Well, and to be fair, you need, you still need to create boundaries, right? Because like to, to be completely fair, it's not like as we're conducting business, those like oppressions and all the isms don't push on to, you know, all of us who are trying to create businesses you have to hold hard boundaries, but you are empowered to say no thank you in a way that if you were in a corporate structure, you would likely, I'm assuming, be expected to kind of grin and bear it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when I think it's great for I mean, as as the leader, I think I get to kind of I get to take care of that so that my team doesn't. So like it is it doesn't even feel like a burden. It's almost like I'm doing this for my team. If it, it would be harder to stand up for myself, but standing up for my team feels easy. So that's an interesting realization for me. Well, you're you're a warrior for your people. 
That makes and indirectly, you're way cooler, but I'll take it. Too. Well, you are. You are. Um, so, like, for somebody who's listening and has ever considered building a business who, you know, would identify with, you know, any of the pieces that you previously share that's, you know, Muslim, a person of color, is maybe an immigrant or lives anywhere in the world, what advice would you give them on how to navigate forward creating their own thing but having to you know move through some of the like storms and icebergs that are going to pop up along the way yeah I mean I wish I could say it's going to be easy um it is definitely it is definitely challenging especially in those early days people will second guess you you will find that things that seem easy for you know your white counterparts it may not like white male counterparts it may not be it, it is not going to be as easy for you but once you push through once you find your people and you find your sweet spot like those first like I would say your first year year and a half might be rough but once you kind of get through that it's fantastic it is the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life that's really good advice what about seeking out mentorship or community like I guess I have two questions one what advice would you give someone on finding those people that help lift them up? And there is this move like everywhere about, you know, representation. And sometimes it can seem like there's this desire. Latch on seems harsh, but like being able to hold up, <laughs> right? Like somebody of whatever background, color, culture, whatever, um, that can almost sometimes seem a little bit predatory. Is that fair? Does that make sense? Like, do you have advice on how to to separate like true intention from like that other a little bit more nefarious? Yeah, um, I'll get. Do you want me to answer your question on mentorship first? Okay, um, mentor absolutely. Mentorship is like is the fastest way I think to grow your business. Getting into finding somebody who understands your specific struggles. Um, sometimes it doesn't have to be a person of color. I, you know, I've worked with Mariana for so many years. Um, it, but it does need to be somebody who's willing to understand your unique struggles. Um, and finding community, I think. So finding community, finding people who understand and who, who get it and who are not going to give you, who are going to understand that visibility is harder if you are different and who are not going to necessarily force you to put yourself out there before you're ready and who are willing to work with you to find alternative solutions and who will recognize that there are things that are going to be harder. Money mindset is always hard for immigrants. So people who kind of understand those things and will work with you, um, those are things you want to look for. Um, in terms of, you know, token diversity, token representation, I think I think with the people who are doing it, you know, for the sake of appearances, it's always it's pretty easy to spot if you do a little bit of digging. Like, are these people who are who, you know, talk about diversity and accessibility and these things, but like have all white panels with one random black woman thrown into it? Or do they just look for a couple of people of color, put them on the panel, but never actually discuss how their experiences in business are going to be different? Um, are these people who are, you know, are they providing scholarships to people who are in um, who are from less privileged backgrounds? Like, are they doing the work or are they just looking for you know those quick PR wins? I think that's really. I mean, those are fairly easy to spot if you just do a little bit of digging. And uh, I guess a follow up question to that is, you know, it's really easy to tell people 
to trust their gut. But if you are put into a power dynamic where somebody has more influence, more notoriety, like all those things, do you have any advice on how someone, you know, maybe they're not interested in calling out, but how they see if they feel gaslit, that they trust that, right? If they feel like it's not a good fit, if it feels like tokenism, what advice would you give them on, you know, being able to advocate for themselves and do what's right for them, even if it's going to feel incredibly uncomfortable, because it's going to save them in the long run. So I, I, I'm i not 100% sure if this is the answer you are looking for, but I think it's important that um, sometimes if it feels like too much, like if you don't have to, you don't have to fight that battle if you don't want to, like if you don't have to have a conversation with them, you don't have to educate them, you can just remove yourself from that situation, you don't have to explain yourself. Um, I think that burden of education and that burden of like fighting for something shouldn't fall on the person who's essentially the victim in that specific situation um if you if you feel like you can do it go forth but i don't think you should beat yourself up about it if it's not a conversation you feel like you can have just remove yourself you don't have to explain to anybody no i think that's a that's an absolutely perfect answer because especially like if we're talking about people who are new to a situation right like new to entrepreneurship in a new country in a new culture like all those situations in which we're new right where we're moving up or growing or definitely out of our comfort zones it can create the situation where we feel like we need to justify yeah and it being a no is enough (laughs) right um and like that I, I i definitely need to hear that from time to time i think most people again definitely when you are the new kid on the block, whatever block that is, not not the boy band, but like real blocks, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that it can be hard to sit in what feels good and pro- like, not proper, not the right word, but like good and safe and the right fit for us yeah. and not seeming um, like disingenuous or something that we need to apologize when it's just like, thank you. Like you're, not going to pick that up or I'm just going to put that down right here and walk away. Yeah. And it's something that I struggle with a lot because it's like the, there is this internal dialogue. Like it, it's the right thing to do to confront this person. It's the brave thing to do to confront this person. But honestly, the only right thing to do is to protect myself and anything I do beyond that is fine. Like my first responsibility is to make sure that I'm okay. And that's it. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I hope that like anybody, regardless of how, they would identify self safety yeah. is like one of the aspects of self care that I don't, I don't think that we talk about enough. Um, and you know, the difference between calling out versus calling in, like you, you really can't call in somebody who's not going to step into that conversation. Yeah. Right. So it really is like screaming into the wind. And I think that you're so smart in, in not just realizing that for yourself, but again, sharing it for listeners that in all situations, you need to kind of think about, is this going to have any impact? Is it going to cost more (laughs) than any potential like positive shift or outcome? And then like, again, that, that safety, that self preservation and 
again, will will it cost more (laughs) than what it's going to give? Definitely, I think, is something that, I don't know, I think we can all check in on multiple levels on a regular basis. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Cool. Um, So related to that, if you could, if I could grant you the power to help shift people's perspectives or perceptions, what would you want to help them see here or become aware of? Oh boy. Um, I don't know. That's a hard one. I think, um, I think it's hard without knowing, you know, where people are at, but I think if there's one thing I could get people to do, it would just be to read more about other parts of the world. Like acknowledge if there's a gap in your knowledge, that's a good thing. That means you have the opportunity to go out and learn about it. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, like recognizing that there's an entire world out there and people with completely different experiences and, you know, you have a lifetime to learn about that. <laughs> well, and that like, and also to give ourselves a little bit of grace in that it is impossible for any one person to know what's going on in every corner of the world yes. all the time, but actively seeking to know what's going on with humanity as Absolutely. a whole and that when something pops up you know again giving it that even that little bit of attention can start yeah. to roll into something bigger and the awareness piece Absolutely and getting your news from somewhere other than Instagram I think is a huge one <laughs> looking for actual nuanced takes on things rather than pop culture hot takes Oh so Twitter then <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy I guess back in the old days, we would call it sourced news, where there's like primary sources, named sources, all those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Second last question before we go to rapid fire, which we've kind of touched on a little bit, but I'll ask you specifically, what hurts your heart right now? Uh, hmm. Honestly, um, it's the situation in India that's probably the closest to home. I see my dad, you know, like it, it is far more personal for my parents than it is for me and to see them struggle the idea that you know you can't you know Muslims can't have like there are certain foods you can't eat their areas it it is very much out of the handbook of Nazi Germany and it's it's getting very close to you know houses are being bulldozed with and people are giving us being given a few moments notice like in Muslim areas um People are being attacked with swords and these videos are being spread. And um, yeah, it's, it's just mob violence and it, it's madness. And I don't see I don't see anybody talking about it. So it's very it's very hard. That's probably the closest to home for me right now. Yeah, like that. Your parents are your heart. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. And in sharing that, you know, talking about, you know, being involved or learning more or bringing awareness besides Al Jazeera. Is there anything else or anywhere else where people can donate or learn more, be involved? Like those who want to be good humans, how can they step up around that specifically? Um, There is a great Canadian charity. It's called ICNA. They're doing a lot of good work in this space. Um, In terms of where they could learn more, um, there's a fantastic journal. She writes for the Washington Post and for New York Times, as well as independently. Uh, Her name is Rana Ayub. Um, she's covering it in just, and she's got a lot of personal experience surrounding it and she's um, documenting it in just the most eloquent way possible. So yeah. We will link that up because again, 
part of what I'm hoping this podcast will do is the people who want to expand their awareness and, you know, be better and do better as they can, give them the easiest opportunity to do so. And then the other side of that coin would be, what gives you hope? What gives me hope? Um, This is going to sound really cheesy. I don't know if I should even say it out loud. Um, But I think five years ago, I didn't see enough people having these kinds of conversations. The fact that a podcast like this exists, the fact that more and more people are willing to even open their minds and have uncomfortable conversations, I think that gives me hope because there is no growth without having, you know, your perceptions challenged. I think we're, there's no way we would be moving in the right direction without these kinds of conversations. So this gives me hope. Oh, well, that makes my heart happy. And <laughs> I agree. I think that it is through um, dialogue and connection through open conversation. And I do hope that like what's heard and resonated here, that people take out into the world around them. And that's how that like, you know, ripple effect and increase of awareness, even if it's slowly, um, can begin to take hold. Yeah. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Are you ready for the fun stuff? Yes, let's do it. Okay. Because these conversations can potentially be heavy, we will end with a little bit of fun and rapid fire. So you ready? Let's do it. Okay. So if time, money, and COVID weren't <laughs> an issue and you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you go? Ooh, I would go back to Singapore. Yeah. Why? Universal Studios. The <laughs> Jurassic Park right there is really legit. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm such a scaredy cat, but I'll have to add it to my, my bucket list. Okay. Next one. If you had the power of time travel for only one day, would you travel to the future or the past and why? Ooh. Oh, this is like the hardest question in the world. Um, I would travel to the future, hoping that they have a better time machine so I can just bounce back and forth. <laughs> I love that answer. I love that answer. That's like the, if you had three wishes, using one wish for yeah. more wishes. It's good loophole. It's good use of the loophole. Um, is there one book that you think everyone should read? Oh, that's the hardest question you've asked me all day. Um, that is truly. Um, no, I don't. I don't think there is. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I think every book is just magic in its own way. So, like whatever, whatever. I think books. I mean, I, I think there are two types of books. There are books that are like transformative and books that are for you know escapism. And I think it's hard to choose one because it's almost like a take what you need kind of situation. So it's hard for me to pick a book. What's one song that inspires you and lifts you up when you're feeling blah? This one is also embarrassing, but um, it is Remember the Name by Fort Minor. Oh, you're, everyone who listens is going to know that I was a really angsty high schooler, but it's, it's very like sports movie montage. Anything that we haven't touched on that you would like to share or elaborate on? Any final words of wisdom? No, but this was fantastic, Marianne. Thank you for doing this. Oh, well, I just want to... Once again, thank you. I consider you one of the most generous and kind humans that I know, and I'm so honored that you have stepped up to be the first. It means the world. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Good Human Project. 
If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review it. I would really appreciate it. And it also helps other good humans find this show. To learn more about The Good Human Project, visit www.goodhumanproject.co. Until next time, be kind, patient, and gracious with yourself and each other.